Hi, this is Natalie Hoffman of FlyingFreeNow.com, and you're listening to the Flying Free Podcast, a support resource for women of faith looking for hope and healing from hidden emotional and spiritual abuse. Welcome to episode 90 of the Flying Free Podcast. And today I have with me a familiar face and voice, Patrick Doyle. He is a public speaker and coach who has over 30 years of experience working with people from all over in treatment centers, churches, and in his office. And some of you, many of you may be familiar with him from the Dove Channel videos that he has on YouTube that are shared constantly in survivor circles. So welcome to the podcast a second time, Patrick. Thank you, Natalie. It's great to be here. Uh, And again, uh, thank you for what you're doing. It's very important, your work. Well, thank you. Say, I am excited about our topic today, and I think (laughs) a lot of people are going to be interested in hearing what you have to say. We are going to be talking about safe and unsafe people. Yeah. And you are, uh, I think you're just the person to talk to about this. You have experience, personal experience, as well as, <laughs> as well as experience in your professional field, understanding yeah. and working with and dealing with safe and unsafe people. And I think yeah. we should start off probably by having you define, how would you define a safe or an unsafe person? Well, that's a great question because I think so many people get, um, I hear a lot of ladies talking about trying to define unsafe, but when they do that, they're defining it with the lies in their head from their abuser. Mm. Yes. One of the things that I often say is if you feel unsafe, then I'm convinced. You don't have to give me a long list of behaviors. I see it show up. I see with ladies, particularly it shows up in their body before their mind catches on. Interesting. They feel exhausted. They feel hopeless. They feel overwhelmed. They feel uh, tired. They want out. That is all the result of being in a situation where you're in an unsafe emotional environment. And the problem is our culture gives no credence for the most part to unsafe realities. In fact, you've probably seen it, Natalie. Um, You go to your favorite breakfast place in the morning and there's this older couple sitting in there. You've seen this? And they're having breakfast and they never look at each other. They never say a word and they don't like each other. You can tell, you can feel the vibes. Yeah. And, but you know, praise the Lord, they're still together. Yeah, it's so sad. It's sad. But you see, that is what we're, we're promoting. Avoid everything. Be an unsafe relationship. The number one goal here is to stay together. It's not to have what God intended from my perspective, which is intimacy and care and a reflection of the beauty of safety that he provides. Mm-hmm. No, it's so we have a cultural mandate that commitment is more important than safety. Yeah. And the church, unfortunately, unwittingly, I don't believe purposely, uh, but definitely has done it, which is promotes that idea. Well, and I just, you know, I'm coming off of a personal situation where trying to prove that, that 
someone that someone that I love is not safe in a certain yeah. situation and you can't prove it unless you have evidence of physical uh, abuse happening. Right. Otherwise, otherwise it's not, it, people think that, well, as long as you're not being physically hurt, then you're, you must be safe. And there's no understanding of the emotional dynamic of and the severe destruction yes, that yes. can happen to the emotional well-being of children or of of even adults in an unsafe relationship. Well, well, well not it's, it's. I think it's even worse than that, Natalie. It's not even that they don't. It's not even that they don't recognize it. They judge it as something bad. Right. If you if you have the if you have the gall to and, you know, confess out loud that this person's unsafe, but you don't have a laundry list of reasons that's, you know, um, uh, empirically provable. Yeah, that makes the sense. Problem, then you're the problem. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Which is insane. It is. In trying, to, I noticed in my own life and in women that I've worked with, when they do try to explain specific incidents that have happened that have caused them yes. harm, Yes. It's not, even as they're saying it and voicing it out loud, Yeah, there, there's this sense in the room of what is the big deal? Like, why <laughs> is that a problem? Right. Well, and so here's, here's the other thing that I've noticed over time is that the problem, one of the major problems with being with someone who's emotionally unsafe, and I would, I would equate that with abusive, okay? Mm -hmm. Long-term emotional unsafeness is abuse. So yeah. um, what I see is because of the profound level of subtlety that is embedded in the emotional abuse process, the abuser isn't hitting you and leaving a black eye. So it's like, how, how are you going to prove it? So I always say it's the death of a thousand cuts, right? If we looked at one of those incidents, one of those cuts, we'd go, oh, that's not that big a deal. And it really, truly wouldn't be. But when you look at a thousand, you're looking at a pattern of profound destruction. Yeah. And so this pattern is the thing that no one wants to look at. They want to take each, in, in, each individual instance and make a judgment on that. But you have to see the whole if you don't see the whole, then you miss the whole point. And this is what I see all the time with ladies is they're stuck looking at the instance. And I'm saying, no, you have to look at the pattern here. So I keep using the word pathological, that it's predictable. The behavior is consistent. And that consistent behavior is what drains your soul of life. That consistent harm, that consistent undermining, that consistent denial, blame shifting, rationalizing, justifying, spiritualizing. All of those things are ways that an unsafe person maintains their control and does harm to the soul of the person that's in the relationship with them. And yeah. our culture, as a rule, doesn't look at uh, whole things very easily. And even you even see it in the medical community. You know, they want to look at a symptom and then treat it. They don't want to look at what's going on underneath that. Right, right. Because that's not what they get paid for. <laughs> okay, so I have a question. When I, when I was married to my ex, yeah, I would never have probably articulated that I felt unsafe with him because he was familiar to me and my life with him felt normal even though I was literally dying inside. 
Mm-hmm. And also because the things that he did were so intermittent and so subtle, it yep. was very difficult. I mean, over, I mean, I knew within six months of being married to him that there was something seriously wrong, yeah. but I didn't, but it became a norm. And I had grown up in a family where I experienced the same kind of treatment. Yeah. So I just thought it, so <laughs> How would you how would you explain to women who were, are probably you know they're listening to this they may even have seen the title and thought, well you know my husband he's not unsafe he's yeah. he feel this is familiar to me it feels normal to me what feels unsafe to me is getting out of this relationship and being on yeah. my own and trying to have to um, you know support myself and yeah. deal with like everyone leaving me because I didn't stay with my husband, that feels unsafe. Yeah. Well, not only are you not only going to be difficult to do that, but you're going to try to get out of the relationship while everybody's shooting at you. Right. Right. So I think I'll just stay. Um, and trust me, that's kept me for a while. Yes, absolutely. Um, so that's a very real thing. But when you talk about, it, it, you know, un, if we took um, unsafe and we, and we broke it down this way, so I talk to lots of ladies who are in relationships where they trust the man in terms of fidelity. They trust him in terms of he says he's going to pick up the kids at five. He picks up the kids at five. There's not mistrust in other areas of the relationship. The place that there's the most profound mistrust is on an emotional level. And this is where I see a lot of confusion happen. Because, well, he said he was going to pick up the kids, and he did, so I trust him. But when he comes home and you say, hey, that hurt me, and he's like, that wasn't me, that was you. You misunderstand that. Your problem. You're too sensitive. What? Stop that. And then, so if you just looked at the emotional level, that's where you'd see the unsafeness. Yeah. A good abuser has to have a good external view. People have to see him as a good guy. That's how you maintain the control of abuse. If he's going around with a gun and hitting people, he's outed. <laughs> right. So every abuser's denial keeps them in a, I mean, their, their well-being to other people is way more important than the well-being to the person they're supposed to love. Mm-hmm. And so if you looked at the unsafeness just in the emotional arena, you would start to get a clue. Um, and, and so, but again, I just talked to a lady, um, last week. And she had an amazing story. Um, I worked with her for, I don't know, five, six years in the individual counseling. And on her second session, when she showed up, um, she told me about the marriage and about her husband. And after the second session, I said, he's cheating on you. And he has been for a while. And she's like, how do you know that? I'm like, um, I know I've met your husband a thousand times and other, and other guys. And all of the things you're telling me are signs. She's like, oh, no, he can never do that. He plays on the worship team at church, and he's such a good man, and he, he prays with me and blah, blah, blah. I said, he works out of town four days a week, every, every week. And I said, you know, blah, blah, blah. So anyway, long story short, she's not only see, you know, that, he's also emotionally abusive and gaslights her on a regular basis. And so long story short, five years later, it comes out. Yeah, he's had not just two affairs, he's had nine. Wow. And he's been with he's been with countless prostitutes and Craigslist hookups and you know, all the while the great worship leader at church and the great husband. 
Incredible. And she's like, how did you know? I'm like, it's pathological. What you were telling me was clear signs. Okay. It still took two years now, two years mm-hmm. after that for her to make the decision. That's so incredible. seven years in total. Wow. So what, what she, what we said, well, I was talking to her online this last week and she was now in the, she's really now, she did a bunch of work after that. I mean, she went, she did her work. Now she's in a relationship with a guy who's amazing guy. Um, and she's super happy and you know, her life is radically different in a good way. Um, but she said, you know, I wish my clarity would have come sooner. And what I said to her is this, look, clarity comes at exactly the right moment Mm. for all of us. I wish it came sooner for me. Sure. I wish I could have avoided all that time, but listen, it didn't. So you got to stop dislocating your hip to kick yourself in the rear (laughs) (laughs) And, and, and be in the moment that you're in. Because listen, my, one of my favorite, my, my mentors and favorite theologians used to say, you know, he believed in what he called the holy now. You can't experience God or another person at any other time, but right now. Mm, I love that. And so you have to stay in the now, but in an abusive or unsafe relationship, the now is the last place I want to be. <laughs> right. Right. Well, you're constantly being triggered. It's very difficult yes. to stay present yes. when your amygdala is freaking out and your prefrontal cortex is totally offline. Well, yeah. And, you know, the person that you're with is creating a reality that is causing you harm. Yeah. So you're trying to live in clarity. And this is, I see this all the time with unsafe people. This is something you see. You know, they're always rewriting history. They're always rewriting the events. They're always changing events that you see. And the number one goal of an unsafe person is to get you to doubt your perceptions. I'm going to have to write that one down. Their number one goal is to get you to doubt their perceptions. Your perceptions. Your perceptions. Because if you, if you get clear about what you're seeing and you trust your own version of what you see, they're done. Right. And that's why gaslighting, rationalizing, minimizing, justifying, spiritualizing, all of those things are tactics that are employed all the time because those are all geared to get you to not be in reality. Okay, so if some, let, let's just set aside, or let's, let's uh, open this up to other relationships like coworker relationships mm-hmm. or relationships mm-hmm. with friends at church. Um, or I'm sure there are some women who are listening who are divorced and they're thinking that they'd like to get into a new relationship Yes, and they don't want to fall into the same trap. And the problem is that because these kinds of abusers are so subtle, it's very difficult to, I mean, if you couldn't see it in your marriage for so long, then how are you (laughs) going to see it in a brand new relationship with someone who's putting their best foot forward and probably not being abusive at first? Is there anything that they... I mean, what can we look for? And how do we, like, let's say that we're, some people might have a coworker that they're wondering, hmm, there's something a little off here, but how do I know for sure? Okay. So this is something I talk about all the time, um, particularly in um, Pathway to Hope. 
because it's, 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 it's ongoing, whether you're coming out of a relationship or whether you're going into one, no matter where you're at in the process of healing or recognizing emotional abuse, here's one of the key components to never being abusable. You have to trust your instincts, your gut, your spirit. Every woman I've ever talked to, myself included, I'm not a woman, but I talk to myself occasionally, and if uh, I would have paid attention to my instincts, my gut, my spirit, I would not have been in the relationship I was in. Okay, well, the Christian community really encourages us to not put a whole lot of trust or stock in our instincts. Okay. I mean, because our hearts are deceitful and okay. who can know let's them. Talk, let's talk about that lie for a second. Okay, so... <laughs> And at the risk of offending some, I will tell the truth that I believe. So in my opinion, uh, over the last 150 years, what we've done in the church is we have made an idol out of the Bible. And I'll explain that in a second. And that, that has led to us making an idol out of marriage. Mm. So Jesus is with the disciples and he says to them, hey, guys, I'm leaving. And it's a good thing I'm leaving, because when I leave, I'm going to send you the Bible. No. I'm going to send you the Spirit. Now, what we're talking about in terms of biblical terms is the third person of the Godhead. The living, breathing, powerful creator of the universe living within you. Why would you trust a written document that is interpreted and misinterpreted over the person of God living in you. Yeah. And so what we've done is we've said, if it's not in the Bible, then it's not real. And I'm like, wait, 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 wait. What happened to all those thousands of people, millions of people for centuries that lived on earth without the Bible? Right. How did they, how did they function? Well, they functioned based on the spirit. And so you and I both know right this minute, when you sit down with someone and your spirits connect, it's a totally different world. Yep. And when you deny your spirit and you try to connect to that person in spite of your spirit going, ah, 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 <laughs> you always end up in trouble. Yes. Because it, what it, God is saying is, honey, move away. But we've lost one of the main things that happens in abuse or unsafeness is you lose your choices. Yes. And when you stop... <clears throat> Excuse me, when you stop having the ability to choose yes or no, if I'm going to be with that person, you are in an abusable situation. Yes. So God in his mercy gives you his spirit to guide you. But the problem with the spirit is it gives me information I can't prove. I just know. Right. And so in our abused worlds, in my world, God, you have to prove everything with every, you have to like have 12 Bible verses and you have to have, you know, <laughs> rationalized readings and all this stuff. And so to go with my spirit is like jumping off the cliff. Like what? I don't have all the, I don't want to go wrong. Right. Right. <laughs> and I say this all the time. I'd rather you be wrong and have to apologize than not pay attention and be abused. Well, and you know what too, jumping off that cliff, if you want to just use that analogy, it's like, <clears throat> what you're jumping into is God's love. And yeah. so many times 
what I've noticed in the Christian community is that people who are you who are really into like you call it worshiping the Bible rather than worshiping yeah. the Holy or worshiping God. Yeah, they use the Bible as a mm-hmm. weapon to hurt yes. people, and it's not that is not the spirit at all of God, and that's actually how Satan uses the Bible because yeah. Satan used the words of God in the in the Garden and yeah. in the wilderness with Christ. And illustrate, and he gave some. I mean, the Bible illustrates beautifully how the Bible, God's words, can be used to do great damage and great evil in the world. So, why are we banging people over the heads with Bible verses, and why are we not just loving them the way Jesus loved us? Okay, so there are theological reasons why, Natalie. And having been a pastor and having been a theological um, nut job historically, and um, I would have been the guy that would have landed in your chest with all fours. Yeah. And uh, told you how wrong you were because you weren't obeying the scriptures. And I could give you 14 cited reasons off the top of my head. <clears throat> Had the Bible memorized. <clears throat> I mean, so I was the worst offender of what I'm talking about. <laughs> right, right. I'm not, I'm not sitting in some ivory tower going, I should do it different. I'm like, no, I learned this from doing it. So, yeah. <clears throat> but here's the bottom line. If I theologically believe, because of my understanding of the Bible, that God's world operates in X, Y, or Z way, then I have to get you to comply. Yeah. Right? And so you and I both know this. You, you've been through a lot of religious abuse. Um, I have. And so, but if you would have talked to me in the midst of that, I would have said anybody who doesn't agree with me is out of line. They're wrong. They, uh, they, they don't have the right theology. They're, they don't have the, their spirit is broke. I would have said something horrible. Yeah. Right? <clears throat> so now what I realize, and particularly having dealt with thousands of people in abusive relationships in the church, that the vast majority of time, the most unsafe people are the people that are trying to help from the church. Because here's what I've seen. If a man and a woman from a church walk into a pastor's office for marital counseling, before they ever sit down, the woman is 90% responsible for the problem. You're right. And she's 90% responsible for the solution. Before a word is spoken. And the reason why is theological. And this is going to, you know, maybe catch some hair on fire. But (laughs) I, I believe the modern church has become a factory for narcissistic men. And a factory for codependent women. And the reason why I believe that is because what we've done in our theological error is we have severely overvalued men, leading to narcissism. I'm the last word. I'm the spiritual leader. I'm the one who God created first, so I have more value. I'm the one who has charge. All those theological lies about men, patriarchy, being more important, which is insane. And then we tell women, your job is to make them happy. Your job is to give them enough sex, enough sex, cook them enough meals. Your job is to be, if you win them over by your winsome behavior, 
So what we're doing is we're institutionalizing narcissism and codependence. Yes. And we're supporting it with theological lies based on an idolization, a misinterpretation of God's record called scripture. I am 100% in agreement with that. I wish I could say it was something different, Nelly, but I've, I've got a, the experience stacked to the ceiling. Yeah. I wish, I mean, I, I've said this before. This is the analogy I always like to use just to let people know, but it wasn't long ago. I, I had a woman who was severely beaten, hospitalized twice by her husband, went to her pastor for help. And what, what did he say? Well, what's the worst thing that can happen? He kills you and you go to heaven. Yeah, that, that's, that's profoundly wicked. I'm like, you know, <laughs> I won't say what I thought, but <laughs> yeah. this, yeah. is a, this is supposed to be a, you know, family-friendly podcast. <laughs> <laughs> well, here's the thing. You know, when I was back in my relationship, I had no, I thought, I literally thought that I was like the anomaly. Okay. Right. I thought, I thought there is nobody who has this bizarre marriage like I have, you know, I couldn't explain it. I couldn't, I have found since then that it's, I, I really believe that over 50% of marriages in the Christian community are actually cookie cutter formulaic replicas of what I went through. Well, yeah. Look at all the material we're putting out. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Read, read a Christian marriage book. I yeah. mean, it's got the same theological lies in it that lead to those two people sitting at the table at breakfast in their 70s hating each other. Yep. I'm pretty sure that's not what God intended when he talked about marriage being, you know, we're supposed to reflect the intimacy God has within himself. Three people living in absolute harmony together, in unity, in, in peace, in in mutual respect and care. Yes. And in freedom, freedom yes. to be who you are without getting shamed and blamed yes. and accused and yes. beaten over the head with right. it. But not only, not only free to be who you are, but even more importantly, um, springboarded by the care yeah. into the freedom of who you are. Yes. So, this is something I say all the time. Look, pain is the thing that lets me know there's a problem. But pain does not heal the problem. What allows me to heal the problem is care. Mm. And this is why you see women in abusive relationships, they start to get the pain and they start to see the problem. But there's such a disparagence of care, which is why your program, why my program, why uh, you know, Leslie's program is so beneficial because finally there's some care available to move me forward. Right. And without that, without that care, that's the woman sitting in the breakfast place with her husband who she hates. Yes. And so do I have um, haters for what I just said? Yes. I'm sure you do. Yes. yes. And <laughs> God bless them. I don't know if you know this, but I, I, I've spent some time with Paul Young, the guy who wrote The Shack. 
Oh, I just saw that for the very first time. I've never read the book and I just watched it less than a week ago. I watched the the movie, terrible acting. I have to say the acting was the worst acting I think I've ever seen, but I love. I, I need to read the book because the concepts in it were, were amazing. Being a good uh, Piper disciple, I can see why you never read it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I know we were told it was complete and utter heresy. Yeah. And I, 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 I've told the story before about me going on the radio and and tearing the book apart before I read it. <laughs> and then I read it and I was like, oh, I'm wrong. I had to go back on the, on the TV and say, well, I was wrong. And, and then I actually, I got to meet Paul and I got to tell him that story and apologize to his face. Oh, but, but I he bet he's a beautiful soul. You, you have to be a beautiful soul to write that. He really is. And he said, he said, you know, Pat, 85% of the people who hate my book have never read it. Wow. That's so sad. But anyway, here's the thing. What, what, you know, you know, Paul wrote that book and you talk about hate coming to somebody. Yeah. Um, but here's what he always says. Uh, he says, he says, Patrick, look, those are my people. They're my people. Wow. There's no, he doesn't have any hate. I'm always like, I, what? <laughs> I need to wow. get to your level, man. But it's really been an inspiration to me because listen, you know, I was the same person. I was the person who was freaking out about his book without ever read it. Yeah. And, and, and then I meet him and I'm like, oh, he's a lovely man. And talk about a history of trauma. Good gracious. You know his history? I don't. Oh, my gosh. He was raised a missionary kid. His parents were missionaries in New Guinea. And the tribe that they worked with was a very sexual tribe. Their greetings were sexual. And he spent, he said, if you'd have asked me when I was a child, uh, who my family was, I would have told you the tribe and I spent all my time with them. So it was a very sexualized tribe. Then at, at, at seven or eight, whatever it is in a normal missionary family, you get sent off to boarding school. Yeah. And then he was molested there. Oh no. So, you know, here's a guy who, you know, <laughs> the fact that he believes in God to me is a miracle. <laughs> Right. Well, I can you know? see where, where the, sh I can see where the concepts came from though. Yes. And it's what he said. He said, you know, if you don't, the shack represents the pain, the place of your deepest pain. Yeah. If you don't go to the shack and, and, and have some healing, you'll, you'll never be free. Yeah. And no, so I, I cried. There were three different occasions where I mm -hmm. was like racked in sobs. While watching, while watching the movie and that's with terrible acting. But <laughs> so, I mean, the concepts were hit home to me in three different places that I, I realized even just watching it. Wow. I've got some really tender spots that I'm still, yeah. I think, I think a lot of the abuse stuff I've been wrestling with, but now yeah. it's like, it's down to like, God, who are you? You allow yes. so, I see so much pain. Yes. And I just, it's so easy to say, and I'm getting, answers are coming. God has really been faithful to me. Mm. But, but I've had to get to that really dark, dark place where I, that it's really, it's a dark abyss where you yes. just wonder, God, are you there? Are, do you even exist? Or are we just alone on this planet? Yeah. If you're not asking those questions, it's because you're lying to yourself. Yeah. Because if you look around, I mean, just I look at my own life. I'm like, well, <laughs> hey, dude, well, <laughs> how come I didn't get the good train? 
Exactly. You know, I see other people whose lives are like just perfect and they don't have trauma. They don't have problems. Their families are good. You know, everything goes their way seemingly. Are they who, why is that? You know? Yeah. And so I always think of the verse that says it rains on the just and the unjust alike. Yeah. And, rem- and this is the other thing, you, your, your leading question and you're 30 minutes in, we're going to finally answer. <laughs> <laughs> your leading question was, you know, how do you define unsafe? And I'm saying unsafe is defined by the eye of the beholder. It has to start there. It cannot start. I mean, if you read uh, Dr. Cloud's uh, book, uh, Cloud and Times' book, um, Safe People, you'll get some very clear behavioral um, uh, examples of what safe, unsafe, and safe looks like. And that's great. But the problem is what you when you're in an unsafe relationship, one of the main things that gets destroyed is you paying attention to your own spirit. And I don't want you get this is what I see all the time, Natalie, is that ladies start to see the problem and then they go into information gathering mode and they read every book and they go to they look at my videos. They look at your stuff. They start just gathering information. But one of the consequences of that is it gets them into their head. And your head is where the problem lies, because that's where all the lies you've been told live. That's where your theological issues are. That's where your abuser's been aiming everything at. What I want you to do is get out of your head and get into your spirit and listen to your gut. It will guide you out. It will guide you to safety, but only if you listen. And the thing that I say all the time to ladies is that, look, if you get 10 opportunities in a day to listen to your gut and you take one, do a celebration dance and, and be grateful because that is going to move you forward. You're, none of us are going to do it 10 out of 10 times. That's that old religious lie of perfection. It's a process. And the more we can pay attention to our, our spirit, the more uh, clarity we're going to have. But here's the problem. Um, <clears throat> one of my clients said one time, Clarity should come with a warning sign. Grief up ahead. (laughs) Is this content resonating with you? I've written a book for women of faith and destructive relationships called Is It Me? Making Sense of Your Confusing Marriage, A Christian Woman's Guide to Hidden Emotional and Spiritual Abuse. You can read reviews and find out more about my book on Amazon.com. It comes in paperback, Kindle, and Audible formats. And new for 2020, I've created a companion workbook for Is It Me? also available on Amazon. This workbook is like 11 power-packed therapy sessions to help you process through the important material you'll be learning from my book. These books are recommended by counselors and therapists all over the United States. I've also got a website specifically focused on helping women of faith find hope and healing. It's called flyingfreenow.com. I'll even give you the first chapter of my book and the first chapter of my companion workbook for free when you hop on my mailing list at the top of my website. Those two resources are going to help you figure out if your relationship is normal or destructive. And now let's get back to our episode. Here's the thing. A lot of us who were in abusive relationships, we were actually told by our abusive spouse or by other people in the church or by a counselor or whatever, because we finally stood up and told the truth, 
yeah. told what, what we were experiencing and how we were taking it. Um, we were actually told that we were the ones that were unsafe. Right. So how yes. do you, so that's very confusing. Cause I remember yeah. I was, I would, that would set me back. I always, I always believed everybody. I always yes. believed that everyone was coming from a place of authenticity and yeah. honesty. So I would step back and I'd be like, Oh my gosh, what am I doing that I'm unsafe? I don't want to be unsafe. I want, I, right. my whole goal is to be safe and loving and kind. And yeah. I'm being told I'm not, how do I, it was like the quintessential catch 22. That's where your spirit gets you free. If your spirit says that's, that's not true, you have to believe that. But what you're, what you're talking about, Natalie, is something very subtle. In the church particularly, women are trained not, you're just too emotional. And never let your emotions be out front. Remember this yeah. teaching? Yeah. Okay, oh, yeah. When, I, when I'm talking about your spirit, I'm talking about the third person of the Godhead, not your emotions. Right. But this is the lie the church tells. Yeah. But listen, women, one of the greatest beauties of their reflection of the person of God is their spirit. So having that diminished is a core level harm. Well, not only to them, but it's a core level harm to the organ, not the organization, but the organism of yes. the church. Yes, it is death. So, um, so when you talk about the people that are helping you saying that you're being unsafe because you set a boundary, what that is, is institutional gaslighting. Yeah. And there's none of that going on in our culture. <laughs> we won't go there though. <laughs> I mean, it's everywhere. <laughs> yes, it and, is. And again, and again, I don't care if you, uh, it's not just politics, it's just everywhere. Um, and so and, and in the church, the gaslighting is made normal by people claiming spiritual authority. Yeah. And the Which rest of us crap. think, well, they know they're in charge. They've got the education. They've yeah. got the leadership yeah. ability. And yeah. we're just, and, yeah. and, and they're kind of like God. They're like the voice of God in our lives. Yes. So we they're need to quote. listen to them. Yep. Listen, I'm just going to tell you, dirty little secret here. Uh, you know how many pastors and elders I've had in my office? <clears throat> well, I'm now just, I would say, yeah, I would believe you now. I, I wouldn't have, I would have been shocked. You know, yeah, before, but listen, but. <laughs> in, in some instances, the fact that someone's a pastor is a sign of pathology. Yeah. I wonder I what mean, the percentage is. Well, it's high. Listen, here's the problem. <clears throat> and, and having been in this reality, this is how I know. My, and my reality was way, way less in, intense than most guys because I was not, I would not allow the church to support me financially. So I had a lot of freedom. But guys that are being paid for their service as a pastor are in a trap. They cannot be honest with anyone about anything that's difficult because if they are, they're going to end up losing their job. So that construct is a, is a setup for dishonesty. Hmm. You have to get up on the pulpit. And listen, what people want is they want you to be perfect. They want you to be the one they worship. Yeah. They don't want you to be real. Yeah. You're they, right. That, that's too uncomfortable. And this is just human nature. That's why the, that's why the Jews said, nah, nah, we want a king, dude. Really, we, we, we're good. We, give us a king. 
like the rest of the countries. We don't want to be this, you know, God-led group. We Give us somebody we can look to. And that turned out pretty bad for them. Mm-hmm. Right? So this is human nature. Right? So you trusting your spirit, your gut, your instincts. I just, I just um, was editing through the book I'm writing about this. And I, I have a whole chapter about this because to me, it is imperative for your healing. If you cannot pay attention to your instincts and act on them, you will be abusable. And you talked about earlier, like ladies that are getting out of relationships and now they've got healing and now they're going to go into a new relationship. The number one way to stay out of abuse is to pay attention to your instincts. If you pay attention to your instincts. And so I tell ladies all the, all the time, look, get on a, get on a dating site, but here's the reason you're getting on. You're not getting on to have a, to, to have a date or find someone to date. What you're doing is you're getting on to practice saying no and trusting your instincts mm. because you have to practice. You've spent a whole lifetime or a whole relationship getting told you don't have a choice. So practicing trusting that instinct and then gaining confidence in that in a safe way is imperative. And trusting your instincts is one of the greatest, it, it, what I call it makes you abuse resistant. Yeah. When you're compliant, when you're listening to everyone, when you feel guilty and shamed, that's not something your spirit's going to tell you. Your spirit, and this is back to my belief about God, but God is the author of life. Therefore, he never devalues it. If someone is devaluing your life, devaluing life in general, move away from them because they're dangerous. Yeah. If someone is not devaluing life, okay, we'll, we'll see how you do. So trusting your instincts uh, is an a, a unavoidable um, re- requirement for wellness. And it's not just when you're out of abuse, just in general. And here's the thing I see a lot, Natalie, that ladies are like kind of confused when I start talking about it. They're like, well, I don't know. And because it's so confusing, is it my head or is it my spirit? And And what I often do is say, look, if you have children, you probably pay attention to your instincts all the time. As a mom, you see something with your kid. Nothing's been said. Nothing's been done. You just see it and then you move into it. Because it's your instincts, right? Yeah. And that's where you got to start. Oh, oh, that's my instincts. Now, now instead of, if you just gave yourself (laughs) one tenth of the energy that you give your kids, you'd be amazing. Yeah. And you know what? I think you hit on something there too. Women don't really have their own backs and they also don't trust themselves Mm -hmm. to take care of themselves. They've been taught, they've really been programmed that that's selfish, that's not Christian, that's Mm -hmm. that they're somehow, if they take care of themselves, that they're somehow not going to have anything left over to love other people when the exact opposite is true. Exactly, Natalie. It's so true. And listen, I mean, I look back at my own journal, I can see myself gaslighting myself. Yeah. Yes. I'm like, where is this coming from? Now that I now that I'm where I'm at, I'm like, wow, I was in, I was really deep in it. Yeah. And so it takes time, and your spirit, um, like I said before, clarity comes at exactly the right moment. So, like I said, don't dislocate your hip to kick yourself in the rear. Just keep each day taking as many chances as you can to trust that instinct, that spirit, your gut. Yeah, I think if I was to sum up this whole thing 
this whole subject, mm. I would say that it boils down to, first of all, getting rid of religiosity, getting rid of a, a, a God that's made in our image or in the image of a man, yeah. really, and in the image of an abuser, and replace that with the Holy Spirit, who is lo- God, is love. So anything, you filter anything that you're thinking about, anything that it's happening to you through that grid of love. Yes. And I think that will help to clarify things. So your relationship with God, but then also your relationship with yourself. You have to have a loving, trusting, yes. where you are your own very best advocate. I always looked yes. outside of myself. Yes. Looked outside of myself to kind of to be rescued by somebody out there who would sweep in and say, and give me permission to take care of myself, you know? And of course, nobody is going to do that. No one's going to give you permission to do that. Right. But you have to, you know, how many young girls are trained in that mindset by fantasies? Yes. So true. So when you look at, you look at the reading material of a young girl, you know, the white knight in shining armor. Yep is going to come in and swoop in and save the day, which is Im- embedding the idea that men are more valuable and women are incapable. Yeah. And so it's even in, it's even in the, you know, the lore, if you will. But what you said is so profound. You, I say it all the time to ladies, a well you is the best gift you can give your kids. Yes. A- oh, amen. Um, and amen. so that requires you to spend the time and energy if, you, if I said, you need to care for your child, oh, yeah, for sure, I got it. If I say, you get to care for yourself first, well, wait. What? I mean, wait. I mean, I got to take what? Well, how do you care for your kid out of an empty, an empty soul? Yeah. And I see it all the time. Women just being drained of every shred of uh, care because there's nothing coming in. And yeah. it goes against the spiritual training. It, you know, sacrifice yourself, you know, you know, carry your cross and, you know, die to yourself and all those messages that are really unhealthy and theologically, I think unhealthy, but. Well, and each, I learned too, um, that each of us has a child, our, our small part of ourselves is still in there and often had spent our whole childhood not being, not being parented well. In, right. in a healthy way. Right. And so that, that child was never able to get what they needed. And that's now as adults, that's our responsibility to give that child the, yes. the nurturing that she or he needs yes. so that we can then know how to nurture the people around us. Yes. So back to, you know, safe or unsafe. I, I say it all the time, but I have two rules that I live by in this way. Okay. Rule number one, no crazy allowed. Rule number two, I decide what's crazy. I like that. And here's why. In an abusive environment, you lose all your choices. You don't have the right to choose what's safe, what's not, what's good, what's healthy. Your only, your only option is to comply or die. Yeah. Right. So when you say, look, no crazy loud and I'm going to decide now you're an entity. And that makes you abuse resistant because you get to decide. And if I put somebody outside of my life and later realize that they're safe, okay, 
I always tell people, look, you're way better off being late to the party of trust than early. Yeah. The damage that can be done to you by being early to the party of trust is cataclysmic. The damage being done by late, not really. But in the Christian, in, you know, in the Christian world, we're always pushing people into situations way prematurely because we wanted to get back together. Which I just don't understand why. Why? why? It's theological. It's built on the. It's built on the, on the um, idolization of marriage. Yeah. So you have, you know, you you have this profound level of importance placed on the marriage staying together. And this is why when the man and woman walk into the pastor's office, the pastor has an agenda before one word, one word is spoken. Yep. The, the agenda is to keep them together. The agenda is not to listen to what is going on. Yep. And this is why so many pastors listen to the story and they filter out the damage and they just, you know, we, you guys need to pray together or you guys need to have a date night or you guys, whatever. Together, instead of like, you guys are toxic and you need to get the heck away from each other. Mm-hmm. Well, where's that at? Well, that doesn't fit with a the theological narrative. And so what happens is a lot of harm. In fact, and frankly, my opinion is the most loving thing you can do for an abuser is get away from them. Yeah. Well, that's, that's loving. That's living in truth and authenticity. Yes. Yes. Right. And when I, when I started getting clear about my situation, that's, that became the most honest place I ever was is when I was saying no more. Yeah. Instead of rationalizing, minimizing, justifying, and spiritualizing to stay. Well, see, here's the thing. Uh, if you were to extrapolate this whole thing out, maybe 200 years, and let's say, oh. that we, that we, let's say that we were able to turn the ship and all of a sudden it became popular in Christian culture to not keep families, to not keep marriages together where there is one person harming another. 200 years from now, if that's where we were headed, we would have much healthier homes. Children would grow up in healthier homes and they would have more to offer in their relationships and they would understand there would be more freedom. There would be more love. There would be more, there would just, it would just be so much better. Yes. But, but nobody wants to do the hard work of, which is basically, it's digging up all of this hard, rocky ground. Yes. And it hurts to dig it up. That yes. means that some of us are going to be misplaced out of our yes. marriages for a while. Yes. Yes. Some of us are going to be mispl- are going to be excommunicated. Some of us yes. are going to lose our families of origin. Yes. And that is very, it's a painful process. But I always say, we are, I really believe that we are kind of like you look at other movements in history, that we're a, a, a pioneer movement. And hopefully 200 years from now, uh, the people that are on this earth will be reaping the benefits of yes. the hard work that those of us who are living in this day and age are doing. I, I certainly hope that's true. That's, that's a beautiful vision. I also hope that, you know, we could have some impact on changing the narrative of men because that's the main problem here. And as a man, you know, I can speak to this with a little authority, um, but we're training men to be abusive yeah. in the church. Yep. Um, and 
Well, misog- the church is very misogynistic, and that's just that's the foundation for abuse. Yeah, right. And then what, the other parts of the church that happen is that are not misogynistic, they swing the pendulum way the other way. And then they have an imbalance, almost like a, a reverse discrimination. Yeah. Um, and so that's not healthy either, because that's harming women. To, and then we're doing the same thing to women that we do to men over there. Right. We're overvaluing them. Right. Um, and so that balance of everyone has value and everyone has a place and a role. And it's individual. I, it's individual. Yes. It's not based on your gender. Yes. Or your yes. socioeconomic status. Yes. yes. It's based on your personhood. Yes. This is the thing. God is the author of life. You are profoundly valuable because you exist. Right. End of story. Yeah. But all of religion, regardless of its type, packs meaning into the human based on the theological understanding. So, like, if you're, you know, in a Bill Gothard seminar, you know, your obedience to your parents is how you get your value. Mm. Or if you're in a Pentecostal environment, you know, did you speak in tongues? Yes, then you have value. But all of those things are are. And again, culture at large does it like, like you said, socioeconomics, that guy, that guy's driving a nice car. So he must be successful. He's a good guy. He's better than me. Well, no, <laughs> but we do all that kind of stuff. And this is one of the things in, that I keep saying over and over again in, in my program is like, look, you're profoundly valuable right now. You don't have to go do anything. You don't have to change anything. You are enough at this moment. Yeah. Can your circumstances change? Yes. Good or bad? Yes. But regardless of what happens externally, your internal value does not change. And this is, the, this is one of the problems with codependence, particularly codependence that's supported by bad theology, is that your value as a soul is dependent on the happiness of the person you're with, which is absurd. Yeah. And impossible. Yes, absolutely. A death, I call it the death treadmill. Yeah, yeah. Well, this, this has been a very valuable conversation. I really appreciate um, your coming on here and giving us yes. some of your time. I was wondering yes. if you could uh, let us know a little bit more about your program. My program is closed until April of 2021. Wow. But but your program is wide open. So why don't you, you tell people um, about what you have to offer? So um, it's, my program is called Pathway to Hope. You can go to patrickdoyle.life and get information about it. But it's, um, you know, I've done a whole new basic set of uh, videos from start to finish, like helping you identify all the way to the process of living free um, in those videos. And then, you know, we do live Q and A's and um, member spotlights and just, you know, a forum. The forum to me is one of the greatest things I've ever done. Um, the forum is managed by uh, someone. So there's, there's lots of safety there. And this is the thing that I see all the time. And I know you can attest to this, Natalie, that safety is imperative for ladies to get healing. So having a safe place to talk honest and raw, no judgment, you can be in a complete place of de- deconstruction or you can be praising Jesus. It doesn't matter. Yeah. 
It doesn't matter if you just realize that your husband is a nut job or if you're on the other side and trying to decide who you're going to date. I don't, none of that matters. What matters to me is the safety. And in that, there's a lot of beauty. And the other thing that happens is your value as a soul is reinforced in that safety. And that's what gives ladies the courage to take the steps that are required to get to a healthy place. So I'm, I'm, I'm always, I don't tell me how you feel about this. I know this isn't really about my pathway to hope, but, but I'm always amazed, Natalie, you're a good example of it. Um, I've talked to so many ladies and I see it in the forums all the time, just the level of harm that they've experienced, the level of just constant harm. And yet none of them are mean, bitter, ugly people. Yeah. They're just so caring and so loving. They're hurting, but they don't want to do harm to anyone. And I'm like, that is like some sort of miracle. Like, why don't we just hate everybody? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think I, it's, it is a miracle. And I, I I think women like women that tend to be like that tend to be targeted. They're easy prey, I think. Because True. they are so kind and they are, they really do care about other people. They and they're also very trusting. They mm-hmm. really, they just, um, yeah. So I think they probably tend to be more, I mean, okay. It, nasty women, they're, they're not, they aren't going to stick around with an yes. abusive man. They're going <laughs> to, they're going to give their man the finger and walk yeah. away, you know? <laughs> yeah. They got the no crazy allowed down. Exactly. But, but for the rest of us, we just really wanted, we loved our husbands and we just really wanted to make it work really bad, like 25 years worth bad. Exactly. And it just, and we just couldn't do it. So. Yeah. So go to patrickdoyle.life, check out Pathway to Hope and uh, see what you think. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm grateful for, uh, you know, your encouragement of, um, this process from your perspective and what you're doing. And um, I think, like you said before, there is a little bit of a movement happening here. I believe so. I really do. So yes. So let's all jump on board. And for those of you who are listener, maybe you're a brand new listener, or maybe you've been listening for a while, head over to Apple iTunes and give, give this podcast a rating. Here's the yes. thing about podcasts. If that, you know, there's algorithms so the so Google and and Spotify and iTunes they'll show this podcast to more people as a recommendation. Yes. The, the more traffic it gets and the more it, they really look at ratings and reviews. So you can help get this podcast in front of the eyeballs of other people by mm-hmm. just going over there and you don't have to leave your name. People leave all kinds of interesting names <laughs> when they leave a review. You can leave whatever name you want to and, um, and a rate, or you can just, you know, if you wanted to do it super easy, just leave a rating, just like pick a number from one to five and actually don't go over there. If you're going to say one, just go, <laughs> I'm kidding. You can, but you can't, rate, you can't rate us a one. Come on. You can't. <laughs> Actually, we do. The, you know what's interesting about this work, Patrick? I'm sure you uh-huh. noticed this, but we make a lot of enemies because mm. we're, um, you know, I've been accused of being a marriage breaker upper, and oh, yeah. you know, just the the daughter of the devil and whatever. <laughs> so, so anyway, we do get some interesting. There are some interesting ratings and reviews on my book and on Apple iTunes. So yeah. those of you who aren't like that, 
go over there and try to counteract the negativity from all of all of the um, misplaced abusive men out there who are just yes. really free. <laughs> I all certainly right. can relate to that. <laughs> Okay, well, thank you so much for listening. Thank you, Patrick, for coming on here. And until, yeah, until next time, fly free.